Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Final segment of today's episode. You may have caught this on the news, but Oregon has had a tough time recently. Uh, The state's been on fire, burning. I looked over at uh, producer Amy's desk this morning as we were getting uh, ready for the program. I saw she was on the phone, and I've gotten to know Amy pretty well over this past year. And I can tell sometimes when she is uh, engaged in a very intense and profound conversation, and I saw that. Uh, taking place here this morning. Uh, and uh, afterwards, she explained, yeah, Lee, I just got off the phone uh, w- with a woman uh, who lives in Oregon. And she had uh, some interactions with Utah's Task Force One, which uh, just last night, late, uh, returned home from about 10 days, uh, having been in Oregon, lending a hand, fighting the fires, helping people get their lives back in order. And uh, lucky for us, uh, producer Amy recorded a portion of that conversation. So here uh, is a woman named Sean Ellis from Oregon uh, who spoke this morning with, with Amy. And uh, Miss Ellis here happened to have an interaction with Utah's Task Force One. Here she is briefly explaining that. I had taken over a blower, a backpack blower, to give because they were clean, cleaning off roofs on one of our little neighborhoods and getting all the pine needles and everything off. And I took over a blower because they only had one. And I gave it to one gentleman, and another one walked by, and I, I just told him, I said, thank you for being here. And he looked at me, and he says, thank you for your support. And I was blown away. Miss Ellis here made another observation that has to do with politics and what she saw uh, in this, uh, this, this helping hand, the helping hands that were lent by Utahns, members of Task Force One, and not just them, but others, uh, it, it struck her. And in this era of politics going back and forth and the fights being loud and the insults shouted uh, from all the rooftops, uh, she, she made an observation, uh, which was refreshing. She shares it here. They acted like we'd known each other forever and they would bend over backwards to do anything in the world for us, all of us. You know, no questions asked, no judgment, no any of the stuff that's going on in the world right now. You know, there was none of it. There was no politicizing. There was no lack of support. There was no disrespect, you know, for either, for anything. There is sometimes in life I have noticed uh, an unfortunate reality that in the face of tragedy uh, and hardship, are we able to find common ground? It's a weird quirk of humanity, but a real one nonetheless. I want to welcome to the program now the leader of Utah's Task Force One, Wade Russell. Uh, Wade, sir, how are you? I'm good, Lee. Thanks for uh, having me on the show this afternoon. I appreciate the opportunity to 
to chat with you. No, thank you. Thank you for the work you've done. Thank for thank you for the example you've set, and thank you for uh, lending a hand uh, to people like uh, Sean Ellis up in uh, Oregon. You, you got back late last night, huh? We did. We did. We uh, we left uh, Sunday Sunday morning and, and stayed over in Reno the night the Sunday night, and we were, were able to pull in late last night into Salt Lake. Now, you were there for 10 days in Oregon helping battle these fires and help people put their lives back together. W- w- what did you see while you were there? Well, for us, what, what our main operation was what we call wide area searches. So that means that as, as a crew of 80 from Utah Task Force 1, we did primary searches of all burned out structures in that Jackson County area. So we did primary searches. We looked for remains. We also did structural assessments to try to determine and document the level of uh, devastation. And I can tell you that level of, of devastation was, was quite profound. I mean, just like you were on a complete different planet. And uh, I, I've been on the job for, for quite a while. I've responded to quite a few of these uh, disasters. And this was something that I had, had never seen to this extent. Not, not to be morbid, but you mentioned remains. Did you encounter many remains as you sifted through the ashes? You know, quite quite amazingly, as we were as we were driving up there um, at the at the first part of our deployment, we were getting reports of two, three hundred people that were missing, and so we were we were really prepared uh, to to encounter a lot of human remains and to be able to recover those. And amazingly enough, the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, those local fire departments, did a phenomenal job of evacuating those residents in a very very short time period in an urban area. And when we left, they uh, did not have any reports of anyone missing uh, at the time that we had left. Outstanding. That's wonderful. Uh, heartbreaking scenarios, I'm sure, you encountered as you were uh, moving into these white areas, uh, those areas that have been burned over, uh, sifting through the, the ash and the uh, remnants of homes. Some of those homeowners uh, may have arrived on the scene. What was it like interacting with them? Yeah, interesting for us, right, because usually when we respond to hurricanes or structural collapses, we don't always have a ton of interaction with those local residents on scene, right? Maybe maybe outside of that disaster area, we're able to visit with them. But this was different. You know, they were being allowed back into those neighborhoods. They were being able to look at the damage of their own homes. So as we were actually working, trying to clear structures and clear these homes and do the assessments, we were encountering a lot of local residents, which was different for us, but, but in the end turned out being pretty good. And we had quite a few really, really positive interactions. Um, we had one in particular where we had a crew going through a, a senior community. They encountered a, an elderly man who was sifting through the rubble of his own house, and he was distraught. These guys went up to him. They gave him some water, asked him, you know, is everything okay? What can we do for you? And he went on to explain that his wife had died two years ago, and he, he didn't care that he lost everything, but he didn't have her ashes, and he couldn't, he couldn't find those. So this team dropped what they were doing. They immediately engaged with him. They found out where he thought they were in relation, you know, to the layout of the house. And these guys continued to work for about an hour till they found the urn and actually recovered uh, her ashes for him. And I talked to one of those crew members this morning. They have been in contact with him every single day since. He can't say thank you enough. And, and these guys, I think, are going to have a relationship with him going forward. So really, really a neat thing for our guys. That's amazing. Uh, that that's heroic work uh, to to drop all that you were doing and to see that uh, here's a human being in need in distress uh, at a time of great loss right quite literally standing in the ashes and the remains of his home uh, looking for the one thing uh, that he may have left uh, his wife's uh, urn that's a beautiful story uh, 
How were others uh, responding? Was everyone generally uh, grateful and pleased to have your help there, even though that, you know, the reality of the situation is that their life is, you know, quite literally in shambles around them? Right. Um, and, and we're prepared for anything, right? We know that people go through kind of those stages of grief, especially when they lose everything. And we were we were prepared to encounter people that maybe didn't want us there or didn't didn't think that we needed to be there. But we I, I did not hear of one interaction that was negative throughout this entire deployment, which is which is really, really amazing that that we were able to encounter such great people. I mean, they lost absolutely everything. And we felt like we were the ones being taken care of by them more than than we were taking care of them. Right. So kind of kind of a weird a weird thing for us. We're we're used to helping people out and, and doing everything for them, but they, they provided a lot of comfort and, and a lot of reassurance to, to our folks that are out there working. So kind of kind of a closure thing for us, a, a, a positive note for our team. Glad to hear it. We're speaking with Wade Russell, Task Force One leader, just returned from a 10-day uh, trip to Oregon, helping people put their lives back together. I have just uh, 10 seconds left, but a final question. Your team of 80, you've all uh, returned unharmed. Everyone is healthy? Healthy and uh, ready to help when we're needed again. That's the way. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for your work, and thanks for sharing your experience with us here on this program. Thank you, Lee. All righty. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of Live Mike. We've moved through a lot of news. Uh, the residents of Orem and Provo City uh, are now, uh, well, tomorrow at least, at 11.59 p.m., moving from yellow uh, to orange as we have observed a significant uptick in the positive case counts here in the state of Utah. The ramifications of that shift, what it'll mean to families and businesses, uh, that'll be covered over the next few days. Time for me to step aside, make way for the great Jeff Kaplan next on KSL. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.